Amen. Hey, look at that. Oh, it's doing it again. Nope, you fixed it. Taylor, you tech whiz. Wow. No, that was congrat. That was encouraged by name. Encouraged by name. Oh man, what a joy to be together. If you have your Bibles, turn over to John chapter three with me. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we have house Bibles under some of the chairs. Uh, you got to figure out which way. That's that's the. That's your punishment for not bringing one. you got to find one. Uh, no, no, no. We really believe in access to God's word here at Emmanuel. So I would actually say if you're here today and you don't own a physical copy of God's word, I would encourage you to grab one of those and take it home as, as our gift to you. Or even better, uh, talk to one of the pastors and we'll get you one that's a little nicer than that uh, with larger print. Um, we're in John chapter 3 today. We're celebrating new life. And, and I love this, this idea of doing our child dedications and our baptisms on the same Sunday because I just think there's something about the physical reality, the spiritual reality of how God is the creator, the sustainer of life. It's just, it's just a beautiful thing. And so what I'd like to do today really quickly is I want to walk us through what is likely the most famous passage in scripture, at least uh, the passage containing the most famous verse within scripture. So this is John chapter three. And before I read this, what you need to know is this, this picks up early in Jesus's ministry. Jesus had traveled to Jerusalem for one of the feasts that involved physically worshiping at the temple. And he's been going in and out of the city. He's kind of camping out outside the city gates, but during the day he's going into the temple and preaching and stirring up a ruckus as Jesus tends to do. And what happens is in the middle of this, in the night, one of the high up in the Sanhedrin, uh, Sanhedrin being the ruling council of the Jewish people, one of the high up religious leaders comes to visit Jesus and have this nighttime conversation with him. So this picks up in the first verse of the third chapter of the Gospel of John, we read this. Now there was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, how can someone be born when he's old? And Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter into his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everything born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus replied. Truly, I tell you, we speak what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but you do not accept our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world in this way, he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment then. 
The light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But everyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. And this, beloved, is the word of the Lord. So there's a lot going in here, going on here, a lot more than I have the ability to cover in six minutes and 25 seconds. And so I'm going to skip most of it and give you guys this. The main thrust of what's happening in this text is that this, this religious leader, this trained rabbi, this trained Pharisee who, who spent so much of his life in the word, it is not unrealistic to assume that Nicodemus had the majority of what we call the Old Testament memorized on immediate recall. That was normal for the teachers who made their way up to the Sanhedrin, right? It's not unreasonable. This guy spent the majority of his life digging into the word, praying, seeking God. See, oftentimes we just kind of hear the word Pharisee and we assume bad guys because they're so often the ones that Jesus confronts in his teaching. But the piece we have to remember with that is the Pharisees were the people who took God's word very seriously in Jesus's day. They spent inordinate amounts of time digging through the word, praying, seeking. What Jesus critiqued them of was not their love of the word of God. He critiqued them of their legalism, of not actually drawing people's hearts to love God. He critiqued them of the way their faith stayed in their head and didn't work its way out into the real world, which is exactly what we see here. See, in English, it's easy to read this text and just kind of think, Nicodemus is dumb, right? Like... He, Jesus says, you must be born, of, you must be born again. And he goes, oh, uh, really? I'm old. How am I going to be born again? Like, and we kind of hear that and we're like, dude, did you, did you listen to him? Like, it's, kinda, it's kind of obvious that he's speaking in some kind of like metaphor there, right? Like he wasn't going. Here's the thing. Nicodemus understands that. What we actually see in this text is that Nicodemus is very intelligent. He gets that Jesus is speaking to a deeper spiritual truth here. And what he's saying is, Hey man, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it. I know there must be something to, I'm going to just switch mics and make it easier. I know there must be something to this gospel you're preaching. Oh, this one's right off. <laughs> oh, technology. Right. There, it's on. Nicodemus says, I know there must be something to this thing you're teaching. You're you're doing miracles like God is moving in your following. So I know there's something there, but I just don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And Jesus hands him in response to that another metaphor. You must be born again. You must be born of water and of spirit. You must be born physically and also have a spiritual birth. And he goes, okay, cool. How? How can that be? How does that work? What does that look like? And Jesus' response is this, in this context, this very gentle rebuke where he just goes, you call yourself a teacher of Israel and you don't, you don't understand the way the spirit of God moves and calls people? You're missing this. You're missing this. God is doing something. And then he just digs into this beautiful, beautiful and blunt exploration of the gospel. I understand the way the spirit of God moves and the way the kingdom of God moves because the son of man has been to heaven and come down. That's why it makes so much sense to me. But here's the beautiful thing. 
God sent his son to save anyone who trusts him and believes him. Nicodemus, you don't have to have full and complete and total logical understanding. You don't have to be able to encapsulate all this in your brain. You can trust me and believe me and receive what God has for you. He draws him to the fact that he goes, look, man, you're really smart, but you are missing this. This isn't about you figuring this out enough. This isn't about you theologizing your way there. This is about you trusting that God is for you, that God can save you, that God has a way for you. And here's what's beautiful about that. Nicodemus has come at night, and it's very easy to assume he's coming at night because of like some shame or potential like trouble for him, and that's possible. It's also very likely that he just came at night because it's hard to get one-on-one time with Jesus, right? And he comes at a time where they can have a one-on-one personal conversation. And the way this conversation concludes is really with just Nicodemus confessing, I don't get it. And Jesus going, yeah, you don't. But the gospel is still for you. And then it just moves on. It just moves on. And you're kind of left with, what the heck happened to Nicodemus? What's beautiful is the gospel tells us, the book of John tells us that at some point it did click for Nicodemus. At some point he actually made his faith in Christ public. In fact, he was amongst the influential people who sought out Pilate and asked for the body of Christ to be taken off the cross and given an honorable burial. He partnered with Joseph to do that work. So something, something about the gospel warmed its way into Nicodemus' heart. Even though he wasn't there, even though he sat in that meeting and just was like, I don't get it. I think what, what, what is in this text for us today is this beautiful truth. We, as, you know, 2,000 years later, on the other side of all this church history, and for a lot of us, all this church culture, having spent hours and hours of Sundays and Sunday schools and Wednesday nights hanging out in churches, it's very easy to just make the gospel of Jesus, the kingdom of God, into this intellectual thing that we understand, that we get, that we're able to put language to, and miss out on the deeper spiritual truths, the deeper spiritual reality of the gospel. It's easy to do that. It's easy to intellectual. And I'm not saying, by the way, that your faith doesn't have intellectual merit. That's a very important and beautiful thing. You need to understand, like, you need to seek to understand the gospel and study him in his scripture no more. But it's easy to take our faith and turn it into this thing that happens exclusively in our head. And that can make all the actions and all the rituals and all the disciplines, it can make them so rote that they lose any meaning, they lose any actual power in our lives, Right? And some of you, if you're honest, you're like, yeah, I've been there before. Or, yeah, I'm there right now. I came here today because it was Sunday and I was supposed to, right? Like, that's, that's a very easy thing to slip into if you've been following Christ for any amount of time. What I love about today is that today we're celebrating new birth and new life in the context of baptism. In just a few minutes, people are going to come up here. They're going to share their testimony of how God called them how he drew them from death to life, how he made them aware of their sin, how he let them see how deeply he loves them, and how they came to believe in and trust the sacrifice of Christ as sufficient to cover their sins and pay for them and draw them into eternity with him. And then we're going to wander outside into the heat and humidity (laughs) in our church clothes. And we're going to watch them get into a weird half-deflated kiddie pool and get dipped underwater And when they come out, we're all going to hoop and holler like there's no tomorrow, right? And the reason we're going to do that is because there's something about the testimony. There's something about the ordinance that that helps kind of shake us. 
out of that, st- like that, that, that's just that stale, rote, intellectualizing, compartmentalizing of our faith. So actually, we're going to do something today that I think is really important. You know, in just a minute, I'm going to have Chris come up and sing a song. After he sings that song, I'm actually going to lead us in communion. And before we take and go and, and, and partake in baptism. And here's the reason I'm going to do that. You know, we do the ordinance of communion every week at Emmanuel. And I think there's really a lot of beauty behind that. It's something that can become this regular rhythm of how we connect with Christ, how we remind ourselves who he is. We're going to do it today at the same day we do baptism. But for no other reason than it's just, it's, it's not very often that you get to do both ordinances in the same day. That's fun. But also for this, guys, for this. I know, I know in a space this big, with this many guests hanging out, with this many church people hanging out, that there are some of us that if, whether we're willing to acknowledge it or not, we have slipped into Nicodemus mode, where we could have a one-on-one evening conversation with Jesus and be talking about the gospel. And our response on some level would just be, I mean, I get, I don't know. I just don't get it. What are you talking about? How does that work? It's so easy to lock our faith into these intellectual compartments, into these rote actions and moments on our schedule. And I believe it's what God can do on a day like New Life Sunday is just kind of shake our heart awake and remind us of the deep spiritual truths of the gospel and remind us of the, the beauty, the love, the grace, the forgiveness, the kindness of the Lord that drew us to him in the first place. And when we take, like, we do these things, right? There's no magic in these things. It's just a weird little tasteless wafer and like Kool-Aid, right? It's just a kiddie pool on the side of the church. Like there's nothing magic or supernatural about it. And yet when we engage in those things with a heart that's actually looking to the gospel and being reminded of the beauty of the gospel, it can actually awaken us to the truth of who God is and what he thinks of you here today, right now. And what he thinks of you here today right now is that he loves you, that you are beloved to him. So Chris, if you want to come up, I'm going to reread this text from Romans 6 that that Emma read for us a few minutes ago. And I want to ask you to listen to this. You can actually look at it if you want to. This is in Romans chapter 6. I want to ask you to, to consider these words before we take a minute to sing a song and celebrate the two ordinances from Jesus. I want us to consider the gospel afresh. Consider afresh what these physical actions mean. How when we, when we take of bread and juice and we eat of them, we are proclaiming the body broken, the blood poured out, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross on our behalf. And when we dip a person in water and draw them out, we're proclaiming not just the death of Jesus, but the resurrection of Jesus. And not just the death and resurrection of Jesus, but how each individual heart can identify with Christ and be laid down with him in his death and raised up with him in his new life and drawn into the eternity that is promised for us. It's just bread, it's just juice, it's just a kiddie pool. But there's also a lot more to it. There's a lot more life and power and joy in the ordinances. And today we get an opportunity to sit together as friends and family and some brand new acquaintances and just be drawn back to them again afresh. So let me read this text from Romans 6 and then I'm going to invite Chris to sing. What should we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that those of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized unto his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been unified with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly be unified with him in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. So the body ruled by sin may be rendered powerless so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin. Since a person who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all time. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Beloved, I want to encourage you today. Let's experience these two ordinances today. As this song is sung over you, I want to encourage you to do what you need to do. Take some time with Jesus. Pray. If you need to get in one of the aisles and get on your knees, that's fine. If you want to grab one of our pastors and ask us to pray with you, we'd love to do that. But I want to encourage you over the next couple minutes as Chris sings this song, do what you need to do to draw your heart back to Christ. To consider his sacrifice afresh. Consider his gospel anew. Consider the actions we're about to take and the gospel truths that lie behind them. Sound good? Meet with Jesus for a few minutes and I'll come back up and I'll lead us. Fiction, fountain 
take us through communion before I do that I know this kind of kills the mood if you have kids in child care as soon as you're done with communion I encourage you to go grab them so everyone can come up and we can celebrate baptism together just so you're ready to spread and get it done the love of Christ is vast as the ocean beloved of Jesus and I call you that because that is what you are you are his beloved the love of Christ for you is beyond what you can imagine. Human language falls short to describe the care, the affection that your creator has for you. And to consider that is astounding. Which makes it that much weirder that we can trivialize it. And we can lock it away in our head and we can make it into rituals and we can intellectualize it. And even that, beloved, doesn't lessen grace, the forgiveness, the love, the presence of the Lord for you, for you today. So let's remember that. 1 Corinthians 11 describes the Lord's Supper like this. Paul says, for I received from the Lord what I passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks for it, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, beloved. Take and eat. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of of me. Beloved, take and drink deep of the covenant of grace. Thank you, Jesus. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Beloved, you have just, through your action, proclaimed the sufficiency of the finished work of Jesus on your behalf. He died. His body was broken, his blood poured out, and beloved, that sacrifice was sufficient to cover the weight of sin, yours, mine, and all, all who are in Christ, covered by that one, that one sacrifice. What a gospel, what a truth. Parents, go grab your kids. We're gonna transition and we're going to uh, take a few minutes to engage in testimony before we go outside in the heat and celebrate new life. If you are giving your testimony to the church, you need to come up here and find me.